0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and
1: welcome back to episode 104 of the Back Pain Podcast. Tonight, I'm delighted to be, jo- to be joined by my co-host Dave. Hello, hello, and also by Martin, all the way from uh, from from Norway. I believe uh, it is Norway, isn't it, Martin? Norway, yeah. Hi. Just checking. Yeah, I, I don't want to offend you by saying a different Scandinavian country. Oh, so.
2: well, I would leave immediately. <laughs>
1: good, good. <laughs> right, Martin? I'd love you to uh, introduce yourself and uh, and tell us a little bit about you before we uh, get into the good stuff.
2: Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me or letting me my, myself push you into inviting me. Uh, my name is Martin Christensen and uh, I run uh, in private practice in uh, Norway on the middle of an island. I'm self employed, so it's all private. And that's basically it. Uh, the reason why I'm here is probably because I have the last oh, year been making friday physio confessions on twitter that's stirred up some some things yeah,
1: it. yeah. De- it's definitely stirred up some stirred up some interesting yeah. chats your, your your discussions on a uh, on on twitter so you're obviously you're a physiotherapist um by background by training and in yes. in in norway is it all private or do you have some national health um musculoskeletal care as well
2: Oh, we national, yeah, and we also have. Uh, we take it in. Well, we have the hospitals. The national health service probably yeah. is the equivalent of that. And then we have the own uh, the communities. The counties have their own health service, and usually they are having. Uh, so, do they have some physios around yeah. and occupational therapists and and the like? So, so you can either work in a hospital you can work within the county or you can work fully private 100 percent private or you can work like me which is uh i have a deal with a county that in essence they pay my expenses to run my clinic and i provide physio service to this island i live yeah
1: oh amazing that's really cool So I think the reason then we wanted you to get you on was, yeah, partly because your your physio confessions, which I know, you know, have really (laughs) made me laugh quite a lot over the last couple of years. But also what you've really done really well is you've shined a light onto basically being a human as well as being a musculoskeletal or a healthcare professional and very much, you know, and obviously this is a patient facing podcast, you know, patients will put medical providers on a platform, you know, and they'll mm. think, you know, this person knows everything and this person knows all about my back pain and all about my problems and all about my injury, when realistically, that's not the case. We might know a lot of it and we might know, you know, a lot more than the average person walking into the clinic, or I'd hope so, but we don't know everything. And I think that's what you've done really well is you've shined that light on, you know, on, on us as healthcare professionals to say, you know, we're people too. At the end of the day, we are humans and we, we're fallible, and we can kind of make mistakes.
2: Yeah, I think that's the toughest thing for everyone to understand. That most of us are just mediocre. Most of us are in the middle somewhere. You know, you know, some are really shitty and some are really great, but most of us are just bang in the middle. And that's the same for GPS, osteos, chiros, and physios as well. Yeah.
1: So then, in in your opinion, what 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 makes a good if if we say physio healthcare professional and you know that encompasses osteo, chiro, you know, GSRs, sports therapists, everything, what makes a good healthcare professional?
2: It's a really great question because uh, it depends on who you're asking. I think maybe me, you and Jay would get another answer than than if you ask a patient, who are you really asking? And you sent me these questions before we before we started now. And My first thought was on this U.S. project that saw that the GPs that had the most satisfied patients were the ones giving out most drugs (laughs) and giving out most sick leave and everything, but they also had the biggest uh, sickness to death ratio for everyone. So I, I think that's a good healthcare professionals really depends on which side you're standing on. And but the, the, first of all, my first thought after the, the one with the US project is that maybe someone that gives you time and, but not time like, how should I say it? Okay. Some of us gets an hour and some of us gets 10 minutes and that's not up to us. Is it? Well, maybe for me, I'm in private healthcare. I can I can use however long I want, but there are some really, really great healthcare professionals out there doing what they do on in 10 minutes. And there are some really, really shitty ones doing what they do in 60 minutes, 90 minutes. So maybe a good healthcare professional makes the experience of the time matter more than time itself. And so that is the basis of, the, of it all, isn't it? If, like, you, if you believe you have been given time, you also feel that you've been listened to, you also feel that you've been seen, taken seriously, uh, understood, and will get the most benefit out of it, in my view.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think what you, you followed up with there, which was you, you, the patient you know, has felt listened to, and I think that's such a, a complaint which I hear when someone has seen another healthcare professional that they didn't necessarily get along with was that they they didn't feel like they cared. They didn't feel like they were listened to. And that all comes under that umbrella of time. And as you said, you know, that can be ten minutes that you felt listened to and cared for. It can be an hour. You can feel not cared for in sixty minutes as well. So it is that, you know, and it's how you how you do that and it's not appearing rushed. And I think that's something as healthcare professionals, we have to be really mindful of Dave I'm sure you've had similar thoughts to me as well
0: (laughs) yeah there's always a bit of a confusion between value for time and just time um uh I often joke because people say, oh, well, you know, I've had treatments before and it took an hour. And I say, oh, cool. Well, you can pay me twice as much and I'll do it twice as fast. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, is it just you want the time for time's sake? Um, but yeah, I think you can be understood. You can be listened to. You can be um, you can be helped in very little time um, if done well.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's it's down to the dynamics, I think, in the relationship, in the interactions. Uh, what What constitutes a good healthcare professional or not. And that is really dynamic in itself. Because a good healthcare professional for some is a really bad one for someone else. Mm. And that dynamic right there between two persons, and this is really what it's all about, is the dynamic between two persons. And we need to understand that, right? So it's just, it's not you as a patient and you as a physio or chiro is, you two people getting along and trying to find out how can this session be of use
1: yeah and it's and it's gaining that rapport and it's everybody will have different ways to do it so as patients when you're listening to that it's that you know what healthcare professionals we do is we you know it's finding that common ground with you it's understanding your your goals your you know what you want to what you want to achieve, you know, if you're sat next to someone who doesn't understand that you want to go and run a marathon or you want to get back gardening or you want to, you know, go and climb Everest in a year's time. If they don't understand that, then I think gaining that rapport and understanding that you're on the same path is always going to be challenging. So making sure that they understand where you're coming from, I think is is really, really important. Yeah. And they're not just kind of yeah. brushing over that.
2: But that goes both ways, right? Yeah. That really goes both ways. So how can someone understand that you want to run a marathon or clown Mount Everest if you're not honest about it? Mm. If you're not able to express yourself in that way? Because one of the problems I see as a healthcare professional is that, I can say physio, right? Uh, Is that I get people in my office that has a goal, has a meaning, has a problem, but struggles with the whole setting of what do I say? How do I tell them? Uh, and I think as, since this is a, a podcast about uh, our two patients is, the most important thing you can do is being honest, right? Just be honest with me, yeah. right from the get-go.
1: Yeah. And I think that's it. And I think that's what we, as, as, as I know, I've made these mistakes in the past, is asking the right questions um, mm. to, to the patient. You know, what are your goals? You know, what are, you know if you didn't have pain tomorrow, what would you do? You know, there's a question I would like to ask. If you didn't have pain in a year's time, what, you know, what's your pain stopping you from doing right now that you want to do? And these are all questions which, if answered right, as you said, bring out those bring out those <laughs> those answers and help you gain that rapport with patients as well. So, I mean, I think well, that this is this lands on the healthcare professional to, to 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 bring these answers out. But if they're not, then yes, the patients can can put forward this information.
2: Yeah, I, I will complete you. Agree with that, but but as I said, it's it's a matter of in life. In in life, pro tip: like my my grandma used to uh, used to do this when she was in hospital. She used she used to dress up herself up, put her makeup on, and you know go out on the town type of clothing and everything, and, and go to the doctor's appointment or the physio or anything else. And her reasoning was quite simple. And I'm saying this because my point is we are all human too. We're not machines. Kairos are not machines, physios are not machines. That the impression the doctors got from her was from a much younger lady, and therefore gave her treatment and choices. She said, yeah. Martin, I wouldn't get. That's really
1: interesting. Yeah. That, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And I've never, never considered that before actually. It's, it's almost, and also then they're not seeing her as a sick person to some extent, you know, if she's out of bed and she sat in a chair and she's dressed and made up, it's a different yeah. conversation compared to if she's lying down in a bed and it's meeting someone on the same level. There's nothing worse than, you know, I've, I've been in hospital and people come around and you're lying in bed and they're coming and having to talk to you, you feel awful, you know, when someone's in that situation. Yeah. So it's, it's being on the same level as someone is, is important.
2: Yeah. So in essence, what I really point to is that a good healthcare professional is someone that treats you like a person.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. No, I couldn't agree more. I think that's probably the best answer, really, isn't it, Dave?
0: Yeah, there's, there's, there's an interesting part of um, all, all meds. And actually, in life, there are people you get on with, people you just do not get on with. Now, as a healthcare professional, you can't throw out three quarters of your patient base because they're not people who you'd be chummy with. And and what we're talking about here, folks, is not becoming friends with people it's not being best buds but it's being able to get on a level to which you can then understand and properly gauge people's goals achievements and you know bloody life dreams we're talking about here um but i think so the mark of a good practitioner or a great practitioner is going to be someone who can bridge that gap that no man's land between someone who on the street or at a party they'd walk away from but even though they're not your your kettle of fish, you know, they're not your type of person as practitioners, especially as in the private world, I will say, um, cause we uh, have to do this. Otherwise people walk out the door. Um, as, as in private industry, we mold, we chameleon, we assimilate, we mirror in order to, um, create, I suppose, an environment that that person across the desk or across the bench feels comfortable in order to be able to get into their mindset and allow them to ratchet down a few levels of, um, personal barriers. So they feel comfortable to, to tell us that next bit. So I think, you know, uh, the, the demeanor you have with your patient at nine o'clock is sometimes entirely different from that at nine fifteen or nine thirty, And again, for, for the next one, um, so I, I'd go a step further and say that that mark of a great practitioner is not just someone who can um, achieve a level of understanding from that patient in front of them, but the, the one that then goes on to create a new persona in order to achieve the same from the next person who's completely different from the next, uh, if that makes sense. Um, I think the, the ability to, to mold, the ability to change in, um, uh, in a few seconds, to adapt, that's right it almost makes it sound a bit sinister, but it's not. We all do it naturally. If you talk to your nan on the phone and then talk to uh, someone from the rugby club on the phone, there'll be two very different conversation styles. And I would hope your grand might be an absolute lad. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Who knows? Uh, But um, uh, as a practitioner, we have to do that on an absolute dime. The people that we're talking to, whether they're happy, sad, we have to be able to come into their level uh, in order to achieve that level of understanding. That's, that's my theory on a great practitioner. I think your point,
2: the last point there, being on the level, Mm. that's really what it is about. Being on that, meeting someone on, where they're at right Mm -hmm. just if it's the brick builder at nine o'clock or the you single mom at five there's meeting them at that level and what's the level they they want to be but then um, and everything else i agree with everything else as well but one thing we need to understand is how hard it is to be that same kind of clinician at eight a.m as there is at five and we don't really expect someone else to be that kind of a machine. So why would we expect it in healthcare professionals? And we need to, we need to acknowledge it, but we need to work, work around it. If you catch my meaning, right? Mm.
1: Yeah, and I, I totally agree. We... we As you said, we're human. I think that's it. And I think that that's what the, you know, patients have to see us as we're human. Um, And yeah, we have to, they have to understand that, but it's our job to, you know, kind of relay that information as well. And it's our job to make sure that people understand that. So that then kind of brings us on to that. the, The next point, which we said was a part of being a good healthcare practitioner is, is being honest as well. And, you know, and obviously we, because we are human, we are wrong sometimes. And, you know, and we make mistakes. And that's a, a big part of, you know, there's not going to be a single practitioner listening to this or that we know that hasn't made a mistake at some point in their practice. You know, or they're lying. Or they're lying. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree hmm. that they have they've <laughs> made the mistake. They've missed something. They've asked the wrong question. You know, they've definitely not bonded well enough with a patient and, and, you know, could have done better. Everyone's going to have done that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, is this something which you navigate well with patients, you know, when you're not sure or you think you could be might, you might be wrong. Do you? How do you walk the tightrope of, you know, being professional but still being authentic and being honest?
2: Uh, all right. So I mean, it, it needs to be said that I'm from a, a, big, a big culture of in the north and Norway. Of we swear when we call each other's really nasty nice names, and I'm kinds of employing that t- that uh, tactic in the clinic as well. And I have. Some patients I've put in chokeholds and really try to hit any balls while running <laughs> through the clinic, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, but I really think that why, if you're at something and you are yourself and use humor and you just be you, then it's easier to get onto that level of thrust where you can say, I really don't know or I'm not sure what's going on right now. Mm. I want to give it more time, right? And something that is pretty important for for people that seek healthcare to understand is, we're not brushing people off when they say, we'll wait and see. We are waiting for a pattern to emerge. We're waiting for our hypothesis to either divide, split, be wrong or right or less wrong, more right or less right and more wrong. And that's what we're really looking at when we say, well, let's wait and see. And I could be wrong. Uh, but telling people that I'm wrong, I find it quite easy. Mm. I really do. And
1: I. Does, does, yeah, that obviously sorry. comes because of that trust that you've got with the patient in, before. Because of that relationship that you have, you know, if, yeah. I think, you know, it's that it's, you know, not to be friendly with a patient and having that friendship, you know, with a patient is important, you know, obviously yeah. you still have to maintain those professionalisms as well, because you you have the responsibility to do that, but if you have that relationship, it's then easy to say, actually, I, was, I wasn't right about that. Uh, you know, we're going in a different direction now, or the, the picture has changed slightly, so I obviously missed something before as well. Whereas if you are coming from a position of, I'm right, this is it, this is yeah. the only option, straight away, then you're having yeah. to backpedal, you're yeah. then against, it's a very different situation.
2: Yeah, and so, so in my, I mean, my clinical experience and my clinical motto um, is always, always, let's play around with this and see, that's right from the get-go. And, and some of the things I do, I, I, I did it intuitively, I do it by meaning now, is that when people tell me uh, their story quite be, it can be quite horror. And I'll, I'll just say it. I don't say, I've stopped saying, oh, that must be tough for you. And I, I just say, that sounds really shitty. Yeah. Fuck, that must sucks. Mm-hmm. That's really awful. Shit. I'm sorry. And just from the start, being mm-hmm. understanding. And not being distancing. I'm not distancing myself and being this whole kind of PK shirt official kind of uh, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm having a person tell me their story and I'm saying, fuck that sucks. Yeah. That's really shitty. You're being you. I, and, I'm being me and, I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking and I'm always back and forth with the person in front of me. All right. So that, okay, that could could mean this based on experience. That could mean this. I'm not sure here. I'm not sure there. This is my hypothesis. This is most likely, it's most likely a cow or a horse, but it, calls, it could be a unicorn, but we don't know if it would. it is a unicorn because we all have to wait and see. And while we wait and see, the pattern will emerge. We'll try to shove it around and see what happens. Yeah.
1: And I think something which Dave and I were talking about earlier was that, you know, often patients come to see us, and this is really good information for patients, with an expectation that when we tell someone a diagnosis that it's 100 percent right, you know, if we're saying to yeah. someone that this is non—I know we use different terms, but non-specific, non-specific low back pain, or you know, regular back pain, nothing I'm concerned about, you mm. know, based on the tests that I've done today, you know, the tests that we've done, some some orthopedic tests, you know, they're pretty shitty, you know, the the results of that aren't aren't very good, you know, they're not going to say just because this test is positive means you definitely have that, or just because this test is negative right now definitely doesn't mean that you don't have that. It's, you know, they're not that accurate. So I mm-hmm. think there is an expectation that we diagnose with 100% accuracy when this is almost never the case. And yeah. it's not wrong of a patient to expect that. This is not a fault of a patient. We taught them that clinician. for
2: 22 years, haven't we? In 40 years, we taught them that. Yeah. We have implemented into uh, our society that we are machines with parts that could be fixed. There's a light switch somewhere. We just need to find it. Yeah. So... They're not, they're not wrong to it expectations no. at all. No. No. And it's on and, uh, us as
1: the clinicians to to manage that expectation. And as you said, it's it's getting that rapport from the beginning that, you know, I, I use the term like a working diagnosis. You know, this is what we suspect it is right mm. now. However, this picture might change a bit. You know, it might look different in a few days. If it does, you give me a call. You let me know. You send me an email. You Instagram me, whatever you need to do to, to get hold of me. Yeah, Because there are some other possibilities here, you know. I'm not always right, you know? And I think, as he said, no. making that clear, then if you are wrong, you can you know, backpedal in a different direction in a different uh, yeah, exactly. in a different and, day if you need to.
2: And yeah, exactly. And that makes it easier for me when a couple of weeks down the line, but saying quite, I could say quite abruptly, shit, I think I'm wrong. And I've not had a single uh, sneak brag, by the way. I'm not had a single... Uh, negative experience with that. Mm. Because people are said, oh, why? And, they have, and I and I would explain, okay, this is not uh, behaving in a, in, in a way I would expect it to do. I would like to do this and that and that. Uh, we could give it a couple more weeks. I could be just wrong, could be stressing about, and kind of giving that decision back mm. to the patient. Yeah. We've mm. done this a couple of weeks. We've done this three weeks, four weeks. I'm beginning to suspect that I'm wrong. Yeah. Where do you want to go?
1: And I think that's I think something... That... Sorry, Dave, carry on.
0: sure? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that, that sort of, that art of diagnosis is not, it sounds very singular. I will make a diagnosis. Uh, in my opinion, it's always a working diagnosis until they've left a bit, well, until it's finished. Um, it, it sounds a like a, this singular event, but actually it is a continual journey as you go through. And one condition can start off with one condition and mold with new symptoms and changing lifestyle and everything else into a different condition. As we go, mm. some conditions mimic others at the start. You've got two or three guesses. You've got three cards up your sleeve. It's going to be one of them and it turns out to be a sneaky fourth. That does happen. Um, when Rob told me about this, it was interesting. I literally, last night I started rewatching house. Uh, so house MD from the beginning. Now, not only would it make for a very boring episode if, diagnostic, uh, if the diagnostic journey just took one look and it was there. Um, <laughs> it's just not the way that it happens. You've got this, this you know, world-renowned diagnostician and it takes them an entire bloody 40 minutes. Back, forth, back, forth. Try this test. Did it work? Yes or no. If it's no, then move on to the next one. Did it work? Yes or no. And although we're not doing it to quite the same extreme, we're not chopping people's hands off and filling them with, I don't know, whiskey and purple liquid like you did yesterday. Um, We're saying, will this treatment work? Yes or no? If it doesn't, well, actually, that's a finding in itself. That actually adds to our end diagnosis. So the thing is, we need to be, like you said, the, the preempting of that journey, the upfront openness about that journey is an important thing. So for any practitioners listening, if you got on a plane, to to Spain and it took 14 hours, you'd be really pissed off because you were expecting two hours, right? You'd find a mismatch there in what was going on. Um, Martin, I've no idea how long it takes to get to Spain from Norway. You (laughs) might be really pleased with 16 hours. Two
2: hours, i like, fuck yeah, I'm going.
0: (laughs) So if you're expecting a two-hour plane journey and it it takes 16 hours, you're going to be really pissed off. But if you're expecting a 16-hour plane journey, same thing happens, still a 16-hour journey. But you've been expecting that, so you're prepared mentally, physically, and all the rest. Yeah. The exact same thing happens with a treatment. If, you're, if the practitioner's thinking, "Oh, this is going to take a little bit of time, but let's get going, but you've not explained that to your patient who's only expecting to come in for two treatments and they think they'll be lickety split there's going to be a mismatch there. And that's where miscommunication happens. So if we front load that by externalizing our inward thinking, you know, uh, when you're a kid, you've got to show your marking, uh, no show your working out on a mass paper. We need to show our working out. We shouldn't be shiny diagnosis machines that just pop out, show them what you're thinking about. Well, because of this and this, because that lay only lifted to there. And because of that, this is what we're going to go with. However, Hmm. it may take a little bit of time, probably about this long, let them know what you're thinking. And if that doesn't work, we'll try option C, D, all the way down to Z until we've got you sorted. Yeah. For those um, patients listening, look, if you're sitting there thinking, I wonder how long this will take, and your practitioner hasn't told you, well, bloody ask them. By the way, how long is this going to take? What happens if this isn't the right course we've taken? What if, you know, is there a plan B through to Z? That's perfectly fine to ask because they've Mm. no doubt got an idea of how long it will take. They've no doubt got 25 um, plans. They just haven't bloody told you about it. Get it out of them.
2: Yeah. Ask. I I like that. I really like that. Just, Mm. is this necessary? Must I do it? How long would it take? And, and just, just ask. Yeah, I like
1: that. Yeah, yeah they won't we, be offended. Yeah, the other thing we <laughs> said on the podcast is is asking is, is as as patients to ask your clinician if it's not this, what else could it be? Mm. And that's quite a good um, you know tee up for that conversation. You know, so you have said to someone, yeah, this is you know you've, sciatica. You know, this is likely from a disc. This is likely from you know whatever it might be. If they, you know, the patient then saying, well, what else could it be? It forces you not only to then think of other things and kind of, you know, show them you're working out, is exactly what Dave said, but it tees up that, up that conversation of kind of preparing you for if it does go in a different direction. And I often say this with patients, I'll say, you know, I had this uh, a couple of days ago with a patient who who had some dizzy episodes and it was kind of a couple of different things. And he would had the runaround from lots of different medical professionals, had all given a completely different diagnosis. And I kind of said, well, you're ticking some boxes of this, some boxes of this, some boxes of this. So we'll treat it like this. However, if it doesn't respond, it will lean more towards this way and we've got a plan mm. if that happens. We've also got a plan if that doesn't work, we can go to option C which is, you know, we can bypass the GP and go find a dizziness specialist. You know, we've got the options there if we need to. And so many patients just say I just needed a plan. I just needed a plan of yeah. what's going to what the next weeks and months are going to look like if this doesn't get better.
2: Yeah. And that that information what what do you mean with wait and see? Just what do we mean? What? What's? What does it mean when we just want to wait and see? We want to play around with it. And we're waiting for that pattern. We're trying to push some pattern to emerge. Right? That's all we're doing. And and I think we're too poor telling people about that. Telling the people that come to see us about. Why do we say wait and see? Why do we see play it out? And I think it was Eric Mira uh, talked about it one episode on PT Inquest that being certainly and uncertainty and that I, was, I took too hard uh, about diagnosing. Because I always say now, I think it's this. There's a good chance I'm wrong. It could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be, this, it could be that. Right, But nothing of that is... Is harmful? Is dangerous? So we can wait it up, see what pattern emerges, and we can start to try to treat it in some way. And well, of course, we can do not going into the manual therapy exercise base as all we, we can fuck around with it and see what see what happens, right? So all I need from you right now is be honest with me, tell me what to think. Are you getting anxious? Tell me. Are you getting angry? Tell me, uh, is it okay for you to fuck around with it? Is it not just play it off. Right. Uh, and then the old, what do you think it is? Because the people that tells us they haven't Googled it are lying. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's so
1: true. And I, I, I do like that question a lot as well, because you do get, you know, some interesting answers. Not only, but then you also get the concerns from patients. And it's something which often isn't brought up to this point. You know, you know I've d- done this before and a patient said, Oh, well, actually, you know, I've had a family member who, who had spinal cancer and they passed yeah. away. And then, and that is there. That's obviously what they've been worried about, but that hasn't come up until that point. Um, so, so, so it, it is a back channel into getting some really important information because then, you know, your whole consultation will pivot to reassurance and kind of guidance and helping a patient understand or, you know, what does it look like if it is that and what to look out for for these signs and how, do you know, why now do we not need to scan it, you know, because they're going to be saying, well, how do you know it's not cancer? Uh, You know, don't I need a scan to tell you that? And you'll say, well, you know, well, these are the signs I'm looking for and you don't have any of these. So at the moment, you know, we're okay. However, if things change and this is what we're going to look for, then that option is always there. And that's our job is that reassurance and i said understanding yes, yes. their concerns is so so important and i think that's our our primary goal and maybe what i would say is is what really comes out as a good healthcare practitioner is what that patient leaves thinking and if they're leaving mm-hmm. being reassured and being confident in themselves then that for me is the hallmark of a good practitioner if they are walking out thinking i feel like shit i've never left a conversation feeling bad about myself then that practitioner's done a shitty job
2: Basically. Yeah, that's that's the the image, right? What, what five, six years ago, what you went to a physio consultation, thinking you have a bad, you had a painful shoulder, you came came out with kyphosis and a circle of doses, <laughs> uh, forward head neck and tight hips, and yeah. you know, so I, yeah, I think that's on point Yeah, yeah, mm. I do.
0: I, what I like about a lot of these points are a lot of it comes down to for the the therapist we're talking to bloody tell them and for the mm-hmm. patients that we're talking to ask, like if, if you could watch this zoom call guys watch these two practitioners faces light up as they're talking about differential diagnosis we're not properly like, Sort of allowed into society, guys. Us practitioners, physios, osteos, chiros, we love talking about backs. We don't know, but we don't know about normal stuff. All we know about is bloody backs and necks. Ask us these questions, and we will light up in front of you and delight in boring you for twenty minutes about the differentials and the possible other ways. We will not be offended. It's not going to be a chore for us. If anything, you've given us an in to be able to tell you about our specialist subject, which we all fucking love. And if someone doesn't light up in front of you when they talk about differentials, tell them to bugger off and find someone that does. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Or they just be really, really good in one area. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: I only diagnose no, but this. But if it's anything else, I don't yeah. care.
0: <laughs> I only do for sets. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, no, that's so good. So, so, um, what would you, uh, if, sorry, Dave, Carrie, you take it so what would you then say to a patient who you know your advice for a patient whose physio has told them i don't know what the problem is you know what would you want that patient to to understand if they're you know asking you for a second opinion or something you know what do you want to give the message to all the listeners whose physio this morning has told them i don't really know what it is how can you
2: reassure them first rejoice but don't have have a overconfident care professional in front of you. Do that. And second of all, ask, why don't you know? How certain are you? And how bad can it be? How good can it be? What are your thoughts process in this? And so we're back to that, right? We're back to that. Ask ask me. right? Mm. Why do I don't know? Maybe it, it could be when I say I don't know, it's because it could be this, it could be that. And when I'm unsure if it's something serious, I would send you on. I would refer you on. So if you as a patient coming to see me are really worried and I say, I, I don't know, that's, you could probably breathe out. Because if I was worried, if I picked up some signals that told me uh, within the patterns I've learned, within the patterns we know, that it could be something serious, I would have sent you on. I would have said, I don't know, I would send you here. If my sentence end with, I don't know, you're good, so just ask.
0: I love it. Um, beautiful point to finish, mine. Uh... <clears throat> Thank you so much for joining us. That was one of our uh, most honest episodes yet. I like that. Now, before we go, because we're all just just begging to ask, um, uh, on average per week, um, how many axe-related injuries do you see through the clinic? Is it just um, Viking sort of uh, injuries that you get, or is there the odd polar bear knee, or you know, skiing elbow?
2: Yeah, it's 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 down to maybe thirty uh, percent polar bear maulings, uh, <laughs> and then we have sixty uh, percent of axe accidents. Mm, yeah. It's mostly young kids, you know, between the ages of five or seven, just learning to <laughs> throw with axes. And then you got ten percent with uh, some overuse injuries. We have some 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 tennis elbows because the women die very early, you know, in birth.
0: You can you can see our um, uh, our uh, <laughs> postcard image of Norway, um, and that's about as much as I know, Martin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Whereabouts are you in, in Norway, Martin? What which well, I'm, in, uh, I'm in I'm in a, I'm on an island actually in the middle of Norway. Uh, it's called uh, Halgeland. It's it's quite in the middle. It's on the island on the west coast. Uh, they own the coast in Norway. So is on the west side, but I grew up in the north of Norway and uh, uh, above the Arctic Circle. I always tell my British friends that's that's makes me special, and they believe me. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if you know, uh, yeah, you're Brit- you are you British both of you, so you know Narvik, the Battle of Narvik. Oh
1: yes, yeah, yes sorry. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Right. So I grew up in a village uh, one hour north of that.
1: Uh, okay. Oh,
2: cool. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: I, I, we have lots of Norwegian friends from university, so it's a place I'd, I'd love to go. So one day we'll have to come out and, uh, and we can share a beer over in, uh, over, over in Norway. Oh, yeah. You're well, most done. welcome. Brilliant. So where what? can people go to find out a bit more about you, Martin? Do you, do you want to plug your, your Twitter handle?
2: Yeah, my Twitter handle is Martin underscore Necoli. Um But if you just uh go on Twitter and you search for Friday Friday official you'll find me uh, I'm not really on on any platform and uh, the whole Twitter thing was most a mistake than anything else <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so yeah but uh I, mean, I also have a no, this is for patients, not for clinicians, right? So I don't have anything else. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, it's laughs> nothing <laughs> appropriate. The best. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us, mate. It's been wonderful. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you catch for having you. me. Anytime, mate. We will catch you, everyone, on the next episode. Over and out. Over and out, Dave. Cheers, guys. <laughs> Cheers, Martin.